Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comic books. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. I am one of the two brothers slash uh, co-hosts slash kind of comedian slash lifelong comic book fan, Will Hines. I am all of those things and so much more. I am the co-host, Kevin Hines. Wow. Nice non-self-deprecating approach. I like it. <laughs> um, I'm, t- I'm tired. <laughs> you get when you're tired, you get more confident. It takes energy That's to right. self-deprecate. That's right. You yeah, gotta be like, psyched up to knock yourself down. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Today, Kevin, we're uh, we're going to talk about uh, Love and Rockets comic books, which is one of my all-time favorites, and it's something I'm excited about. I don't, I don't know if it's like if. I feel like maybe they're not that popular, but lots of people have heard of them, but maybe have not actually taken the time to read them. And so I'm excited to go over it. To me, I feel like they are popular. They're just popular, but the still co- like indie, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they're a popular, I don't know. It's like to use a band we both know is like, they might be giants. A good thing. It's like, I don't think. I don't think most of America has heard of They Might Be Giants, mm-hmm. but anybody who like listens mm-hmm. to anything like that has heard of them. Yeah, even if they don't listen to them, right? Maybe, like maybe it is they're like well that. known, but like you couldn't stop somebody in the street and say, "What's your favorite They Might Be Giant song?" They might they either will say, "I've never heard of that band," or "I don't yeah. have a favorite." So I don't know their songs. Yeah, right, right. And okay, then some yeah. people would be like, and then everyone else would say, like, you know, "Oh, a statue got me high" or whatever. Yeah. Ooh, nice, nice, uh, nice. They Might Be Giants pull. Well, however their popularity is, they're they're one of my lifelong favorites, so I'm excited to talk about them. Do we have any business before we uh, dive into this? We've got lots of business, Will. Ooh. Uh, uh, Two two pieces of business. Oh. Still a lot. Two for me is a lot. Again, I'm tired. (laughs) Um, uh, So uh, uh, we finished up our Mutants and Mailbag series. Yes. So that's done. And we're getting ready to do a John Byrne version where we're covering John Byrne's run on Fantastic Four. Yes. Uh, and unprompted, we're starting to get suggestions for what to call those episodes. Okay, yeah, we don't have a name, so this could be helpful. Yeah. I mean, the, the other one is just called Mutants and Mailbags. Simple alliteration, something I kind of came up with on, uh, on the guff. Not but just the, kind like, of, it, you came up with. Yeah, but I wasn't, I didn't like think about it and you didn't lay you didn't labor over it a long time and i was like we should cover x-men and call it mutants and mailbags is i think how it came up that's right um i mean for me that sort of brilliant naming that's no big deal easy yeah Yeah, that's effortless but but like a comic book magazine with a letters column we're getting people coming in and pitching names for our letters column and i kind of love it okay let's let's hear it so we've gotten three pitches so far i'm going to read you all of them and they're all in the running and we and email us and and maybe your uh, pitch will be the winner and you'll get a no prize. Everyone gets a no prize, even the losers. We'll send a no prize to everybody who emails us. Uh, our email address is screwitcomics at gmail. All right, right. So uh, this is I'm not gonna I'll read this whole email at another point, uh, but this is from Ben Sanborn, mm-hmm. um, and he says his pitch is postcards from Yancey Street. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. That Not fits. Bad, that right? works. That that hey, if we if we like were forced by some very whimsical authority to have to use that one, I would not be sad. Uh, Brandon Wallace tweeted at us with a suggestion: burning letters or burning mail for the new mail segment. That's also good. I love that that pun. 
Yeah. And then uh, Ticket Kev, not me, Ticket Kev, I'm just normal Kev, mm-hmm. uh, pitched and also through Twitter, Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. Well, I like the alliteration. Yeah, it certainly follows the mutants and mailbags method. Anyway, those are three suggestions we've gotten so far. I mean, you got time to get more suggestions in, guys. So we've got a few weeks probably before we start doing this. Yeah, we're 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 on our usual milk stop pace. So we we do have a little time before the first episode kicks in. So if you have a pitch for our John Byrne and Mail episode, we'd love to hear it. Um, and the other piece of business is less comic book related and, and more Will Hines Beatles related. Uh-oh. Uh, I was listening to the Dana Carvey David Spade podcast, a little okay. plug for that struggling <laughs> podcast where they interview generally SNL people. Okay. And they had Paul McCartney on recently, well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Paul McCartney, you might know him from Wings, but he before that was on a, a band called uh the the Beatles. Beatles, um, right? Yeah. And then that was a variation of the Beatles, I believe. So sort of <laughs> right. like I think their lineup changed at some point and they went from the Beatles to the Beatles. <laughs> right. Um anyway, in that a podcast at some point he's just talking about being in the Beatles. And uh he was referring to like when they first came to America. Yes. And it, and it was just like, oh no, right before they came to America. And he goes, yeah. even then we were uh we were quite popular. <laughs> like and the, there's something that was very funny about that, like how understated how incredibly understated it was but it also in a weird way like that should sound conceited yes but like for him because it's so incredibly understated it's like it's humble it somehow be. with the beatles like was, normal like, bragging is actually being humble yeah but then i sort of imagine like what if he had said like we were already like the most popular band in the world if he had said that unless he had said it like with like a tone I yeah. still would have been like, yeah, hey, it doesn't seem like you're bragging. You might still be underselling it a little bit. <laughs> uh, it is crazy. It's something very, it's something very funny that like there's very few people who could say that. I agree. Yeah, it's and where where I would think, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny. Um, just anyone going like, oh, we were quite popular. I don't know, like. Uh, if if uh, Steven Spielberg said, ah, my movies were quite popular, I guess that'd be a similar thing. But most, unless you're like the best in the biz, it, I think it's hard to say something like that, even if it's true, without it being like, yeah, you shouldn't say that. Like if if, if the actors on Stranger Things were like, our show's pretty good. I'd be like, yeah, I don't like it from you. <laughs> yeah, but wow, what a lot of attitude. Enough, yeah. But if you're big enough, I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I saw him on uh, Colbert. So, sometimes I think, He'll be jokingly arrogant, uh, and and it and it won't work. I saw him on Colbert, and Colbert's like, "How did you guys? How were you guys so good at songwriting that you had so many hits?" And Paul said, "Well, uh, we were geniuses." <laughs> and I thought that was such a <laughs> funny answer. I thought that was, and then he yeah. kind of then he kind of laughed it off. He's like, "No, no, no. I just want to, you know." But I was like, and nobody kind of laughed at it. They were just like, "Uh huh." And I was like, "No, I think." I think he meant that as a joke, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if he actually also, thinks that true, to say it right? as a joke, it's kind of yeah. true. Yeah, kind of true. I mean, if it's true of anybody, it was true of them. But it, uh, this, if, it's it is great that he has lived long enough to sort of be this far from it, where it's like he could say anything about it, and it, and it's understatement, and it's not true. I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. It's not comic book related, but it is Beatles related, and this is the only time we talk. I refuse to have this conversation <laughs> off microphone. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. All right. Um, 
That's it. That's my business. Two well, pieces. But, okay, done. I have a piece of business. Let's let's do some MCU TV talk. Um, oh, okay. Wow. What's uh? I'm going to talk She-Hulk and Werewolf by Night real quick. Have you watched okay. these things? I've watched them both completely. Okay. I just finished She-Hulk today, and I watched Werewolf by Night uh, um, a few nights ago. I haven't watched the most recent She-Hulk episode. Is it the last one? Yeah, this week okay. is the last one. Okay, so I haven't watched that one. But I've watched okay. all the others, and I did watch Werewolf by Night. So what's your take on the She-Hulk show? I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, uh, I think most, I think it's going over pretty well. I guess I don't know. Um, I'm luckily not too plugged into, like, the Internet's take on it. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't like it because it's just Which doesn't different. necessarily mean anything. Like, you can't, you just can't yeah. go by Twitter or Reddit because it's just, it caters to the negative so well. Uh, I think it's very fun. It is silly, but not, I don't know, not, it's not like parody silly. Um, yes, I, I think, agree. It's not like. I think the, the the actress, the main actress, Tatiana, is unbelievably great. I think so, too. Uh, I'm full, I I'm, me, I, I'm, she's wonderful by all accounts, and she deserves yeah. that acclaim. I am in love with her. Uh, and she is married to someone whose last name is Heinz, Kevin. So oh, we got really? we have a shot at least in so terms it of might her. be us. We might maybe we are married to her. Like that would be great. That'd be really we, interesting we to check, realize. We should check into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean she's great. I mean obviously she's been great in everything she did. Uh, but it's sort of the delivering comedy. I'm weirdly more impressed when somebody's good at delivering a joke. Yeah, and she was in episodes of Parks and Rec and good. And I sort of had forgotten about that. But when I saw her on the show from episode one, I'm like. Oh, she is perfect in the comedy. Do you know that she's an improv teacher? Uh, well, she, she did I'm improv in Canada. And that, that takes her down a peg in your ear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, now she's one of us. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, no, I did not know that. I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I was sour when I watched the pilot, but I think it was one of those things where I just was in a mood or whatever. Um, it's still... There, I, I I hate to be a little twittery. Uh, there, there's something missing from it. It might just be first seasonitis, you know, where a show is kind of finding its exact rhythm and footing. The parts of it that I like, I like a lot. I love her. I love the comedy. I do find myself rushing to watch it, where some of these Marvel shows have been a bit more like chores. And I do think the yeah. half hour helps. Like it's like half hour. Yeah, the, is, the length of it is huge. I watch it at lunch instead of at nighttime. And uh, that that I'm like, you know what? Half an hour, I'll throw it on right now. So there, that is something that's interesting. Um, if I had a nitpick, and it's not a fair nitpick because it's this is not the only show that does this, but it's that uh, there's a lot of characters in the show, a lot of villains and uh, new characters and new concepts that because they're being debuted on this show are being played as jokes. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, ah, it's wasted potential. Like now you can't do this character in something else. Um, I mean, Marvel has so many characters, but at the same time, it's like, oh, the, who, the who are you thinking crew, of? The Wrecking Crew. Oh, the Wrecking Crew. Up. Yeah, right. They're right. already sort of done. And it's like, not like they're the most amazing villains ever, but it's like, I would rather have, this is one step removed from killing them off. It's like, you've turned them into jokes a little bit. Is that, Big slight on the show? No, not even a, a little bit. But it is something that bothers me. It bothers me when I read comic books and villains are treated as jokes. Like when the shocker is treated like a joke. Yeah. I'm always like, yeah, but like make him cool instead. 
You're talking like Kurt Busiek. I think Kurt Busiek takes that viewpoint. Like, why not just do it good? Like, Doc Ock was made into a joke for a long stretch. Like, when we were first reading comics, Doc Ock was like a cowardly, had been defeated by Spider-Man so much. It was like afraid of spiders and was like just a coward. Yeah. Uh, And he was no longer a threat. And like in our Ditko comics, he was the greatest threat in the world. The The greatest threat. Yeah. And he has uh, since returned to that. He's returned to that through like uh, David Michelini and then Dan Slott. They've they've brought him back up into prominence. But also Alfred Molina, um, I think, had a lot to do with that. He didn't write any issues. That I know <laughs> of. Uh, yes, of course, in the movie. But, but it's just like, oh, why are you making this? There's not enough good villains. Don't diminish them. <laughs> it's sort of my thought. But that's a pretty minor complaint. That's really my only knock on She-Hulk. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Is it as good as like the best issues of the She-Hulk comic? No. No. Is it as good as like the average issue? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm really enjoying it. So uh, thumbs up from me. What do you think of Werewolf by Night? Uh, It's a blast. Uh, I think it has the benefit of being a a special episode uh, rather than a series and rather than a movie. Like One hour, you're done and out. Like You can get away with a lot more. Under an hour. It's like 53 minutes or something. But I I do think that's a... I liked it, and I think that helps. It's like, yeah, it doesn't need to be a huge, huge time commitment. Like... I kind of like that one and done for Werewolf by but, Night. But, but also, why make those? Like from a business standpoint. Like, I don't know. Like making a TV show for your streaming service is like, hey, you, you want to watch She-Hulk? You got to sign up for Disney Plus and you got to be, you can either wait till the show's over and sign up for a month and binge it all, or you need to be on for two months. And then there'll be another great show that our goal is to hook you on the next show then. Yeah. Um, but a special is like, are you going to join a streaming service for a one-off? Probably not. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't I have it. Yeah. It doesn't I, make you money. There's no commercials. I mean, I loved it. I And they're doing a Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. I think that's going to be fun. Like, it's fun that they're doing these things. But I don't understand the what they add to Disney Plus that Disney Plus doesn't already have just by having all the Marvel movies. Yeah, I guess it's just... signing up for this. <laughs> it it doesn't seem like a good way to get new signups. I guess it might cement the existing signups to be like, yeah. Hey, stay signed up because these cool things happen. Uh, and it's like a good way, you know, and it's like, Hey, you don't have to invest a lot of time to become familiar with this brand. Um, but it was a blast. I was a little worried. It was going to be too much of a spoof on old horror movies. Okay. Like, because the trailer was that the trailer for Werewolf by Night was very much like pretending it was like a canon film or or uh, an old Dracula, you know, whatever. Like oh, Lugosi movie, era, yeah. movie, yeah. Um, and it wasn't. I mean, it certainly steered into that a little bit, but it was mostly just fun. Visually, it did. Um, but there I, weren't I'm a very lot of jokes based off of that. No. I kind of wanted the werewolf to look a little scarier. I think he deliberately was kind of like, what would the special effects of the 1950s had done? You know, what what, what would the werewolf of the 1950s ha- have looked like? And here, here it is. I, it was such a great moment when the werewolf is revealed that I was like, I wouldn't mind this being a little better, like anachronistic special effects mm-hmm. wise, you know, but I still enjoyed I mean, it. They already had man thing that was sort of, uh, uh, yeah, way adva- advanced special effects. Yeah, yeah. Man Thing would really look good. Man, Man Thing has really great. survived. Like a weirdly named, vaguely defined, in my opinion, character of the 70s really has staying power. Like you can't get rid of Man Thing. 
Uh, also, funny. also, Bloodstone is a really fun character from the comics. I don't think you've read her in anything, but I uh, haven't. I haven't. She's in the Next Wave series, as where she debuts, and she's in a bunch of things. And she's a little toned down in this, <laughs> weirdly, because she's generally played like a, um, uh, even more uh, cartoonish is the wrong word, but sort of um, unhinged. Not unhinged, even just sort of like in your face. Uh, okay. Not even. That's not the just attitude. You know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Like I don't. I don't have time for this sort of attitude. Like okay. up to the up to the nth degree. Yeah, there was I'm some gonna, more warmth gonna, based on that. Yeah. In the, in the, in but, the uh, special. But the actress was great, and so I really enjoyed that. I, I don't know. I also love that when I watch these silly Marvel things, it's like so much of it is still um, from the comics. Like it's it, you know they're not. They didn't never need to invent anything new. It's like, oh, we need a family of hunters. Oh, great. We have that in Marvel Comics. uh, What other monsters can be here? It's like, you've got your pick of monsters that you could have thrown in here and made things a fun choice. Where's Fing Fang Foom? That's my question. And then that's what we need. He's coming. Okay. He's coming. Um, All right. It was a blast. It was a blast. So that's our episode. That's our episode. Um, Thanks for listening. Um, listen to the screw. We're just going to talk about the Beatles and the MCU. A lot of people are, lot of people are just hitting off right they're now. Like, they're we buy it. We buy it. This sounds like the end. Uh, they're not going to hear you talk about love and rockets. Um, well, for those of you who have made it through that segue, we're now into the love <laughs> and rockets portion. So what I want to do, Kevin, is mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of say what love and rockets is about overall, and then we'll get into what we're going to read today. What we're going to read today, by the way, is the Death of Speedy arc by Jaime Hernandez, which was over the course of like four chapters of the Love and Rockets comic. Um, now, Kevin, maybe maybe I'll just say my thing. Ke- Kevin is really indulging me by letting me do this. This is one of my favorite comics. I, yeah, I, I'm just going to turn what, my microphone off. Uh, I'll it, be back in <laughs> 35 minutes. I'll say what it is, and then I want to know what what your relationship is to Love and Rockets comics at this point. But here, here's the overall summary. Oh, Kevin is actually leaving. That's interesting. <laughs> no, no. Um, so Love and Rockets comics is mostly by these two Mexican-American brothers, Jaime Hernandez and Gilbert Hernandez. goes by Beto. They grew up in Oxnard, California. Um, and it's a self-published – sorry, it's an independent comic book published by Fantagraphics Books. It started in 1981. The brothers, when they were like 21 and 19 or something like that, did a self-published issue, sent it to Fantagraphics to be reviewed because uh, they liked the harsh reviews in the Comics Journal, which was the magazine of criticism published by Fantagraphics Books. And then Fantagraphics is like, we like this so much, we'll publish it. And uh, they've published it ever since. Um, it's it's a bit odd in that like there's not really central characters. It's just the comics that Jaime and Gilbert like to do. And they've done it in one form or another since 1983 or whenever the first issue was published by Fantagraphics. And most of the time, although we're talking over such a long period that even when I say most, there's a lot of years where this wasn't true. But most of the time, Jaime would do adventures around the characters of Maggie and Hopi, who were like punk teenagers who grew up in Hoppers, California. That's a version of Oxnard. And they're like punk rock fans, lovers. And it's like they're soap opera adventures throughout their lives. So the world of Maggie and Hopi, mostly Maggie, that's the Jaime half of the book. Then the other half of each issue would be a Gilbert And he would normally have stories that took place in the fictional Central American town of Palomar, and they'd be more like Mexican folktale kind of magic realism stories. 
but that wasn't always true. Sometimes they would do, they would just do other characters or other worlds. What was true 99% of the time is Gilbert would write and draw his own and Jaime would write and draw his own and everything's in black and white. And it was like indie books on the shelves in the eighties. These guys were kind of like a critical darling um, sort of indie sensation that if you were like an artsy person like myself who was reading superhero comics, you would hear whispers of the Love and Rockets books. They were oversized. They had a lot of sex in them. So if you picked it up and flipped through, it looked like naughty. Um, and you would read it and maybe like it or not. I, I feel like they kind of had a moment in the late 80s where they almost broke out. It felt like they were that you could see a Love and Rockets movie happening or, or something at that time. This is also the time that Tank Girl was big in England, and Tank Girl shared a lot of the same aesthetic with the uh, Jaime Hernandez. I don't know if Tank Girl copied it or if they just had like similar influences, but it was like very of the moment. Anyway, uh, it was this. I got into it when I was like 17, 1987. Uh, I read a story about it in the Amazing Heroes fanzine. They had you know, which was also published by Fantagraphics. So their little comics news thing was promoting their own books, which I don't know if that's allowed, but they did. Worked on me. I bought Love and Rockets and just got obsessed. I just adored it. It was just so unique and different from anything that I read. I got really invested. And up until like two years ago, I bought anything the Hernandez brothers did. Uh, I had to stop. I, I let myself off the hook because I just, I went to the comic shop once and there was like, they just do so much stuff that I, I was like, I'm taking a break after 30 years and, and I'll catch up later maybe. But um, yeah. And Kevin, is there anything else you want to add to that overall description of love and rockets? Am I missing anything that you feel like is obvious? Um, no, I mean, that's the main stuff. They've changed the format over every now and then. Right. Like didn't they yes. for a while became like an annual comic and then they were like separated their books where there was just a, uh, a Gilbert book and a Jaime book. Wasn't that was not a thing. Yeah, yeah, that happened for a while. They they change how they collect things all the time to make you buy the same collections over and over again, which I do. Um, that's that's all I know about it. And but they always eventually come back to just like a new issue of Love and Rockets whenever they get it done. Yeah, that's right. It's it's really variable length, even variable length, variable publishing schedule. Um, the original run from 1983, I actually don't remember exactly when it started through 1996. Um, was like oversized issues that would sit on the comic book stand and pretty much always would be one half Jaime, one half Gilbert. There is a third brother, Mario, the oldest, who was the one who encouraged them to make their own comics. And he occasionally will do like a thing in their books. So they always are like, it's the three of us because they're they're brothers. But Mario really doesn't doesn't do too much. But and then after 96, they went into separate books they each published regular sized comics of their own. Gilbert had some, Hami had some. And then starting in 2001, they just were like, eh, they just went back to doing Love and Rockets, this time like normal size, like you say. They always kind of returned to that. And and then they also have done like weird things like Gilbert did a kid's book for a while called Measles and things like that. Like they'll, they'll do other stuff. Lots of side projects. Yeah, they'll do other stuff sometimes. Uh, Gilbert especially is prolific and will do, Gilbert like did a. <laughs> videos with his wife where it was like sci-fi a zero budget sci-fi television series that you could buy over mail order and i bought that and it was him and his wife wearing masks and like just like <laughs> doing characters and 
He drew that <laughs> as a comic for a while. It was really trippy. He did a porn comic once uh, called Birdland. That was just a straight up erotic sex comic. Uh, Jaime, between the two of them, Jaime is sort of the more uh, respected artist, I guess. He'll do like New Yorker covers and he'll be hired just for his illustration prowess. Gilbert, I suppose, is a little less technically successful, although quite a good artist, but his stories are wilder, I would say. Um, but you can see that they have similar influences. Um, what, I, what I think is interesting about Love and Rockets overall, and the reason I wanted to do this, and Kevin, that I'm, that I'm glad you're letting us do this, is like they're just a really interesting experiment. These guys drew and wrote comics their whole lives, just like as kids doing comics, right? Their mother was really into comics and introduced them to like R. Crumb and all kinds of stuff in the 60s and 70s. They read all the superhero stuff like Jack Kirby, and they also loved Archie comics and things. They would, you know, they would read them and exchange them and write and draw their own. And then like right at the age where they might have been leaving it behind, they get the deal to do it for a living. And so they've never stopped and they've never really had a ton of editorial oversight. So they're kind of like an interesting experiment. Like what if you take two talented people and let them do their art form for their whole lives and sort of never tell them what to do. Um, I mean, there's pluses and minuses. There's things about love and rockets that I think are really hard that make it hard to read and hard to get into. And there's things they're just not good at, but there's also things that they are really good at and that are unique to this like kind of unbothered experiment. The thing that is best about them is that they mix comic book influences like recklessly, like superhero stuff, science fiction stuff, soap opera stuff, sex stuff, Mexican folk tales. They'll they'll have a Jack Kirby-esque character and then like a quiet, introspective emo character and then like uh, something in between with just just no self-consciousness at all. And there's nothing like it. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan warts and all. Um, Kevin, what's your relationship to it? I know you read it, I think because I did at first, right? Yeah. I think you were always telling me to read it since I read <laughs> so many comics. Um, and I don't remember the exact years when I like uh, tried reading it or when you got me to start reading. Cause like, if you were reading it when you were 17, I was 12. Yeah, which probably means that I was old enough to read anything in there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sex and um, swear wise, yeah. without being like, I don't know, stunned. And also, what was I going to do? <laughs> that, yeah. I don't know. I was not a wild child who was going to go. Oh, now I, want, I know these words. These I'm going to show these pictures to little kids. <laughs> I don't know. It's like I'm right. none of that was going to happen. So, in that sense, I probably read it early-ish. But I don't remember exactly when you got me to start reading it. Because by the time you got me to start reading it, you had a few collections. Yeah, the few trades. Um, and I remember reading the first few collections, like front cover to back cover, like everything in it, and enjoying it. Uh, I certainly didn't love it as much as you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, at some point, I think I stopped reading the Gilbert stuff and just read the Jaime stuff. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, I even stopped reading that. I just sort of like lost interest in all yeah. of it. But okay. I can't tell you exactly where that happened with either book. But I can also say like now when I kind of think back to it, I feel like now I think more fondly on the Gilbert stuff mm -hmm. and less. I don't think about the Jaime stuff much at all. So uh, I haven't tried rereading it until this podcast in a long, long time. So I don't actually know if that would be true if I went back to read it. But sure. Uh, 
my I, I'm more interested in re- reading Gilbert stuff if I was going to pick it up and start reading it again. Okay, yeah. Um, well, despite that, today we're focusing on Jaime. Um, uh, and next next episode we'll focus on Gilbert. Um, should we take a short break and then get into it? I think that is a great idea. So we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. I'm Daniel, a half vampire. And I'm Claire, a full werewolf. And we're the two best friends behind The the Monster Monster Line. Line. Every week, we'll help a different supernatural friend with their problem. Every monster, every cryptid, every urban legend, everything that goes bump in the night. Give us a call and we'll help you out. You can call The Monster Line if you're a monster with a problem. We are, of course, a Q-Code Wood Elf production. And you can follow The Monster Line wherever you find your podcast. No problem is too small. Some problems are too big. We're here to help you. The Monster Line. We are back. What we read for this, we're not going to do page by page. We're going to just kind of do an overview of it and, and as, an, as an excuse to talk about Jaime Hernandez in general. This is a story that is usually collected as the death of Speedy. Um, it came out in 1988. Um I don't remember how many issues it was in originally. I feel like two or three, but there's four chapters in the story. So when it's collected in trades, it's like four chapters. The first one's called The Return of Ray D, which is sort of a prologue. And then there's Vita Loca one, two, and three. Um, but it's also sometimes called The Death of Speedy Ortiz. Now, um, I mean, Jaime Hernandez in general. So between the brothers, Jaime's art is, I think, like easier to look at. It's like kind of more sleek. Uh, it's prettier. Um, it's, I mean, truly beautiful and cool. I, I personally am a sucker for Jaime Hernandez drawings. I've got like four pieces of original Jaime Hernandez art around my apartment. I just think every single panel he ever draws is beautiful. He's one of those guys. He's a huge Steve Ditko fan, by the way. And he's takes a lot of influence from our man Steve Ditko. So you can sort of say that Steve Ditko invented Love and Rockets comics. A lot of people um, say that. A lot of people say that. Um his stories tend to be kind of smaller and more human. They're more soap opera oriented. Maggie and Hopi, when we begin seeing their stories in Love and Rockets comic books, they are punk rock fans in a small California town, Mexican uh, heritage. And they're lovers. Hopi is a lesbian only, and Maggie is a lesbian only for Hopi. And sometimes it's about their romance and their relationship, but a lot of times it'll be about their adventures separately. Um, And uh, so if you're reading a Jaime Hernandez story in this era, the late 80s, and for a long time, it was like Maggie and Hopi and their kind of soap opera uh, uh, stories. And um, I guess the 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 plus is beautiful art, interesting characters, and certainly for me as a kid in Connecticut in 1987, just like Mexican American kids, lesbianism, punk rock, and just not everybody is drawn like a superhero was like a revolution. Like it was so exciting to read a Love and Rockets issue. It was like it was like correspondence from a broader world that I really loved. Um, the downside is I, you know, and I hate to say negative things about things that I love, but 
I think what I'm about to say is a reason why more people don't get into 11 Rockets is much like Chris Claremont, Jaime Hernandez does not catch you up on backstory. Like it is easy to be lost in a Jaime Hernandez story. He doesn't summarize what went before. He brings in characters sometimes from years before with no explanation. Um, there's tons of plot lines swirling around every issue. If if you are into Jaime Hernandez, you kind of have to just enjoy the ride and being a little disoriented, I think. Um, and just sort of appreciate that it feels like every issue is part of a big world. But if you're looking for everything to be buttoned up and labeled and narrated, it ain't going to happen. Uh, Kevin, what, what was your impression of reading this particular story? Yeah, I mean, it certainly just throws you in. I also don't know how much of it is because I didn't read the previous stories. I know what's going on or if this story also feels like it sort of skips things and it's like, you'll figure out what happened uh, before anyway. Like that yeah. Maggie's mad at Hopi when this comic starts. And I don't know why until like, eventually you sort of piece together that like she skipped town to tour with her band and like, didn't say goodbye to Maggie. Didn't take, or yeah, didn't take Maggie with her. Didn't say goodbye. Uh, or something like that. But I don't know if that was shown in the comic or that just sort of happened between issues. Yeah. And that's, and that makes you feel kind of like you missed something and that, that can be, that can put one off, I think a little bit. Yeah. And by the way, that was it, not shown. That just, that happens in between issues and that moment is never shown. Yeah. And it, I don't, and like this thing, I don't think it's super important. I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people who reads comics or but reads books or watches TV shows and, and feels like, Oh, you skipped. I missed an episode. I can't watch this. Or I didn't see the first movie. I can't see this. Like, and I feel the same way. Like, even about comics, it's like if it's told well enough, it's telling you what you need to know for this story. Like, you don't need to know really what happened between Maggie and Hopi, other than like Maggie's mad and sort of adrift. Yeah. And so you don't really need to know those details. And some of it you're told uh, as it goes on anyway. So um, it doesn't matter necessarily, but I can see that going too far. Like yeah. You can definitely get to a thing where it's like, and our complaint about some of those later Chris Claremonts we read was just for like, oh, it doesn't tell me what happened. And I kind of feel like I need to know. Right. Yeah. To, to be invested in this moment. Um, and obviously, if you read this comic for the first time, I think you'd know that like Maggie was in love with Hopi um, just from reading this. But I can imagine in later comics, like their backstory is probably so, so much denser and longer it, it, that maybe those things happen more and more where you're like, I kind of feel like I do need to know more than you're telling me. And I, I can't say that for sure. So I wasn't lost by this. It certainly is throwing you in, in the deep end, but obviously this is also a comic right in the middle. Let me just say what the overall plot here is of this story in a very broad sense. And then I want to hear what you, what you thought of it as you read it, Kevin. Um, the overall plot here is, and it, there are a bunch of plots and subplots, but the main story um, is that Maggie's, there's a Speedy Ortiz, who is the kind of object of Maggie's, she, Maggie's had a crush on him, but they've never been boyfriend, girlfriend, they've just grown up together, starts to date Maggie's little sister, Esther, and, and she also starts dating a gang member in a different town. And Ray is and Speedy is basically associated with the gang and hoppers. So it's like this romance starts a little gang war. So Esther's dating Speedy and then Rojas. They're each in different gangs. That starts like a little rivalry. It, it also is, causes complications between Maggie and Esther because they're sisters and Maggie's always had a crush on Speedy. And it ends up with Speedy's death. 
Um, but along the way, you learn about all the people kind of in their orbit. Um, you learn about Maggie's friends and uh, their other brothers and siblings, and it's a pretty sprawling and sort of I kind of complicated little little tale here. Um, now, uh, Kevin, how do you feel about that summary? That sounds right to me. Had have these characters been introduced before this? Most of them. Yeah, most of, of them, them. Most of them have been. Yeah. No way. Um, one way or the other, I think Esther's new and Rojas is new, and uh, Speedy's little gang is new. But Speedy's been around, and his sister Isabel's been around. Maggie and Hopi certainly. Well, Hopi's not in this. Um, Danita has been around. Yeah. Um, I'd say. A, just over half of them we've seen before in various ways. Uh, what was your experience reading it, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I didn't. I don't. I didn't get sucked into it. Uh, and I know this story means a lot to you, and you find it very emotional and moving. It's okay, I like your honest opinion. Uh, and it, that did not happen to me. And some of that might be. I don't know when I read it. I, I wasn't like tired or anything when I sat down to read this, but. Uh, generally, whenever I read anything now, it's like in between things. So yeah. I'm like finding time to sit and read something versus like, uh, ah, I'm going to read a bunch of stuff right now. I don't have those moments generally. Uh, so there's a some there's something about that. And I think I've read this before. I think you've had me read this story before. OK. Or or I made it this far when I read the run. Uh, I don't know which of those is true. Maybe both of those is true. Um but I have no real memory of anything that happens in these stories. It's not like I was reading this and going, oh, I know what's going to happen other than it's called the death of Speedy. So I know that's going to happen. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, that's sort of a giveaway. Mm. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was good. But I I guess, yeah. It's I not your it, jam. I, exactly. I didn't get um, sucked into it. I was also thinking like, why don't I love Love and Rockets? And some of it might just be that I read it at 12 instead of 17. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so by the time I was 17, it was old news to me, or maybe I wouldn't have liked it then because like that comic in general had been out for a while. I don't know. Or maybe it just wasn't my thing to, to uh, not necessarily quote, but to paraphrase J.M. DeMatteis, sometimes like he thinks your tastes you're born with and you're just certain books tap into it and certain books don't. And so that maybe that's just it. Maybe this isn't my thing. And I, and I don't think I read or watch lots of things that are just sort of like let's meet this town of people let's just spend time with these individuals <laughs> weirdly the closest thing i could think of that i enjoy that feels like this is gilmore girls okay um because that is sort of like oh what's the story of that it's it's really just this town of people and this mom and her daughter yeah there are threads and there are will they won't days, but that's not the driving force of what I like about that show. It's just like, oh, these are fun people to spend time with. But it's also like a sillier, more comedic world than this. Yes. Yes. So it isn't even quite like this. Like this is more drama, uh, a slice of life than that. So I and I just don't think those are the things I'm ever drawn to in any medium. Let me just talk about page one of the story just as an example of of, of a sample of it. Um if you don't mind looking at it with me, Kevin. So Got it open. page one of the story, it starts with the return of Ray D. And that's in this kind of stylized heading at the top. There's only three other panels in this page. The second panel goes all the way across the page. It's wide and it's big. And it shows Maggie walking barefoot angrily away from a house on the porch 
of the house that she's walking away from is a woman who is saying $2 dress, ratty hair, combat boots, heavy date shrimp. Someone's making fun of her. We find out later who that is. We don't know right now. And then Maggie responds, why don't you shut your pig face? And she's barefoot holding socks in her hand, combat boots. Um, And so it looks like she just kind of stormed out in a huff without even putting her shoes on. And she's walking away. Um, Next panel, she's sitting on a curb next to a brick wall with her feet in the street, putting her boots on. And she's thinking, fucking Hopi, how could you do this to me? Just when I'm fed up with humanity, there's two little cute girl joggers walking, running by her at that second. Third panel, a pickup truck is driving by and Maggie is shouting to it. Doyle quit bird dogging them joggers and feast your eyes on some real sauce. And there's like an X, you know, question marks coming out of the truck. And that turns out to be Doyle, who's a guy in the town who stops and gives Maggie a ride. And what we start to learn is Maggie is basically like a 19-year-old or 20-year-old, not old enough to buy alcohol yet, kid. And there's like this just circle of friends who kind of are punks and kind of bum each other, bum rides off each other and crash in each other's couches and go to shows. And they're living sort of a quiet little working class fans of punk rock lifestyle. Doesn't look like anybody's got money, um, but it looks like they sort of have taste in sort of underground stuff. Uh, And just that page, the way it kind of throws you in, and you have to make a lot of assumptions. Who's that woman on the porch? Why is she walking away? If you don't know who Hopi is, who's Hopi and why is Maggie mad at her? And even just the language, quit bird dogging those joggers and feast your eyes on some real sauce is like real interesting dialogue to my ears. Like that's a very non-cliche way for Maggie to like talk shit to Doyle and tell him to pull over. It's interesting to me right away. There's like, it's very stylish. Yeah. I mean, it feels very authentic. Uh, even if it's not a world, you know, it doesn't, it feels real. Um, I'm going to do one more little thing on page three. Uh, Maggie goes to like a party that her, that her, um, mom makes her go to and everybody's dressed up it's like somebody's confirmation there's a lot of catholicism in in love and rockets everyone's always getting confirmed and going to church and stuff and uh maggie's refused to dress up she looks very slovenly and she talks to her friend isabel ortiz turns out this is speedy's older sister she's a woman who's had a nervous breakdown and is always a complete wreck but is like a mother figure to maggie and there's two panels right in the middle that I want to talk about because there's a flashback and and Jaime loves flashbacks and he never announces them with a caption. You just have to notice that they've happened and like deal with it. And I, I do kind of love that. So like in the first of these two panels, Isabel is saying to Maggie, tell me, Miha, what kind of shenanigans did you and Hopita cook up while I was gone? And Maggie responds, I'd appreciate it if we didn't discuss her right now. And Hopita is Hopi that Maggie's mad at. The next panel, Isabel and Maggie are in the same body language, but they have different clothes and they're a little younger. And now we're in a flashback. And whereas in the first panel, there was a guy in the background just chomping down food. In the second panel, he's been replaced with Hopi. We find out it's Hopi just slamming her fingers into a piano, just going plink, 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 plink. And Isabel in this flashback panel is saying, so are you girls going to let me unpack or what? Maggie is saying, oh, we'll leave before he gets back. First, you got to tell us all about your honeymoon and then Hopi, but leave out the bedroom stuff. That shit's obvious. And so it's like, okay, when they were younger, 
they stayed with Isabel or Isabel had just gotten married and they're hanging out with her and they're kind of causing trouble and they seem to be sort of a troublemaking pair of teens. Hopi's the detail of Hopi just kind of slamming all her fingers into a piano. Plus Hopi's like got a shaved head and Maggie's like wearing some kind of football letterman sweater, maybe ironically. Okay. I'm giving a lot of detail here, but Mike's I'm, and I won't do this for maybe any other panels in the book, but my, what I'm trying to communicate here is a lot is communicated just in the vibe and the art. It could be confusing because there's things that are not spelled out, but my experience of reading this book, when I compared it to like the Marvel comics of 1987 that I was reading was like, this was like a quantum leap into like confident storytelling for all of the confusion, for all of the words, I was like really thrilled. And I honestly, I'm still thrilled when I look at it. It kind of reminds me of Dave Mazzuchelli's year one panels where there's a lot put into the art and the background. Uh, uh, it's really special. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. Um, Kevin, do you like these drawings at all? <laughs> yeah, Jamie's a great <laughs> artist. Uh, I feel like you feel obligated to let me chime in. Uh, I, I do because I would I, just talk nonstop. I don't have like deep insight into this, unfortunately. Uh, and I've only, if I've read it two or three times, I, I don't have the recollection of you. And it's been so far. I certainly haven't read this. If I've read it at all, it would have been back when I we still lived in Connecticut. So we're talking pre college. We're talking college yeah. years ago. Well, I appreciate you diving um, into it again. So, so it's as if I'm reading it for the first time. So certainly it is not a comic where i picked up on all that stuff but like certain things like yeah cool flashbacks and stuff uh, i take some of that maybe even for granted just because now we read such a wide range of comics and other books will do cool things like this obviously not necessarily a random issue of fantastic four mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh other stuff will certainly some hold your hand and some don't um so sometimes i take that stuff for granted but i mean Jaime's heart is beautiful. the The characters are all great. the The facial expressions are all great. There's not like a missed line anywhere. Um, thank you, Kevin, for chiming in. Uh, another. I'm gonna, so I'm just going to talk about a couple of the threads of this story that I think are interesting, because there's basically all these characters are kind of bumping into each other. So what the main character, Speedy, Speedy is basically portrayed. Uh, and we are told that he's just this attractive man. All the women seem to be attracted to Speedy. And he seems to be kind of a bum. He doesn't have a job. He just sleeps on his sister's couch or his parents' couch. Um, all these kids seem to be like high school age or just after high school. They seem kind of aimless and drifting. But Speedy is kind of like when he gets insecure, just seems to like sleep with a different woman. He hits on Maggie when we first see him. And Maggie's telling him that she doesn't want anything to do with him. She's kind of fed up with his lack of attention, he then immediately hits on, or actually then Maggie's sister, Esther, Ket sees Speedy and just goes and hits on him and Speedy takes her home and immediately is with Esther. No regard for Maggie's feelings. Esther also seems to have no regard for Maggie's feelings. Um, and then later Esther kind of is ignoring Speedy for this other gang member, but we just don't know. We know Esther's gone. Speedy's looking for her. And so he just like sleeps with a waitress in a restaurant. Like we just see him having sex in a room at a restaurant while this waitress is like on shift and she's thinking, oh yeah, I knew he wanted me. I knew he wanted me and not that girl, Maggie. Um, I don't know. It was like intense kind of weird sex drama stuff. 
Grey Young Wilhines to be reading, even though there's nothing there's nothing like explicit shown. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's also there's lots of confusion, not necessarily in a farcical way, but like because everyone knows Speedy likes Maggie, a lot of people assume he's dating her and not Esther. Yeah. So um, like when sort of like stuff starts to heat up, there's like definitely a lot of confusion that Maggie is in the center of and she's not really a part of the story at all, really. She's just a witness, but she gets sucked into it just because of her almost relationship with Speedy. Exactly. Um, what happens is that Esther turns out she's dating this other gang member. So there's Hoppers, that's where all these characters live. And then there's Dairy Town, where there's another gang. And that's probably based on some Southern California town. I don't know. But like the 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 guy she's dated in the other gang is a true like gun-wielding tough guy. Speedy is more just like a layabout kind of a kind of a ladies man but sort of a bum like he doesn't see he doesn't seem to carry a gun or like but he's got his buddies and he's allied with the hoppers gang so when he's mad about esther his boys some of his boys are kind of with him and these it seems like trouble's heating up like like you were saying and there's lots of little episodes of like the gang member first comes to hoppers and challenges speedy hey you dating esther and he's terrified. He goes, oh, I don't, I don't know Esther. I don't know Esther. Yeah, well, I'm dating her. So if you do know her, you better stay away from her. It's kind of this threatening like showdown. Uh, but then when he gets drunk and stoned, he'll be mad about it. That drama is throughout the whole story. I found that quite thrilling when I was first reading this. But the other sort of main thread is Maggie falling in love with Ray D. Ray D is like a former resident of the town. He's been to art college, comes back. And he's basically in love with Maggie at first sight and is pursuing her throughout these stories. And she kind of isn't really noticing him, right? Uh, did you notice the Ray and Maggie romance at all in this, Kev? Yeah, I noticed, I noticed the plot of the comic. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't yeah. know, because like it's easy to miss stuff in uh, Jaime Hernandez yeah, stuff, I, I think. No, it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear. You'd have to be rushing through this comic to miss these some of these things. I think it is done simply and elegantly and it's not holding your hand, but like, if you're just like looking at the pictures and skimming the dialogue, you'd miss some of it. But like, yeah, Ray likes her right away. Like he doesn't even recognize quite who she is at first. Um, and then connects it's Maggie grown up or whatever. Um, but then he's, you know, he's kind he, I mean, he's constantly talking about how a speedy doesn't deserve her and things like that. Cause he thinks Speedy's dating her and stuff. Right. Um, the first page of Vida Loca 2, chapter 2, there's just some art I want to point out here. And it shows this is it shows Ray leaning back on a car, looking over his right shoulder. And behind him is Maggie, who's kind of walking along the sidewalk barefoot and dragging like something along, just dragging, I don't know, like a ticket or a piece of paper or something. Or she's holding a ticket or something. And written on the wall, like as if it's graffiti, is the death of Speedy Ortiz. Um, and then she notices something on her foot and Ray kind of like fixes up himself to walk over and talk to her. She's oblivious. And then he's almost hit by a car, which is his like gang buddies bugging him to come drinking with them. But what I wanted to point out here is the first panel to me is so beautiful. Like it really just looks like it could be a poster. And then the fourth panel, it's very cartoonish. Like Ray's expression is like, mm -hmm. that is just like peanuts level, like simplicity. 
Uh, and I just love how Jaime will mix that up, you know, like just like a, a peanuts, Charlie Brown expression next to sort of a New Yorker cover level of detail. Yeah, he's um, got sweat. He's sweating bullets out of his head. His cigarette is like hanging in midair. Uh, the screech of the car going by him is just lines and 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 uh, sound effect. Yeah, it's like it's, you know, if if uh, Jaime is just kind of making recordings in his home bedroom, he's able to make the effects of like a Led Zeppelin record, but also like a Bob Dylan folk record. Like he just has a mixture of kind of approaches in his art that's that's very fun um okay just so that we don't this, talk at this point at that point in the story if i'm remembering um he has found out that uh maggie's not dating speedy yeah and he's sort of they've sort of flirted a little bit so it seems like they're they're both flirting with each other a little bit at this point yeah, she start, he's starting to get her attention. They do end up becoming a couple for a long time. And in current Love and Rockets comic books, Kevin, in the most recent issue of Love and Rockets that I got two weeks ago, he proposes. I thought you said you stopped reading it for two years. I had to buy one issue. I saw one issue in the stands, and I just out of habit bought it. Okay. All but right. uh, but they're like in their like late 40s, and they've put off marriage. But she's finally saying it'd be nice to be married to you. Um. Okay. How do you feel about that? I love it. I'm a huge Ray. I ship Ray and Maggie big time. Not not Maggie and Hopi? I kind of always want her to have affairs with Hopi. I kind of <laughs> feel like that's the way it's supposed to be. All right. You're pro affairs. Got it. That's it. I'm always in favor of infidelity and lying. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Two other things that I sort of want to talk about, and then we, we, can, we can move on from this episode. But um, one is that <laughs> in this issue, Kevin, uh, Maggie and Hopi, their lesbianism is confirmed. Like up until now in Love and Rockets comics, they had been like best friends and troublemakers and Hopi was definitely a lesbian, but it was not confirmed the nature of their relationship. People would ask them questions. What's going on with you two? Or do you like girls the way Hopi does? You know, um, but in this issue, it is confirmed that they that they are. Uh, there's a flashback to them kissing for the first time. Um it is in, uh, and it, it was kind of like a big deal in Love and Rockets Dumb when this happened. It's like, oh, Maggie and Hopi kissed. Um, Even though it was pretty much assumed that that had happened? It was assumed that it had happened, but I think because homosexuality just wasn't as much a part of like really any medium at that time, movies, TV shows, comics, like homosexuality was something that was always hinted at and not said, I mean, compared mm-hmm. to today. That you just kind of assumed, well, I guess that's the way it'll go here in Love and Rockets. But um, yeah, that's just the way you present homosexual relationships. You just forever. hint at them and you don't say them. But here there is a flashback. What happens is in modern times, Maggie passes out and she sees on the sidewalk, Hopi loves maggot caused in, carved into the cement. Um which chapter is this? This is that's the previous one. Chapter one, I think. Yeah. Not the return of Ray D, but Vita Loca chapter one. Halfway through, like Maggie like passes out. She's on the sidewalk. She sees Hopi Loves Maggot carved in there. And she flashes back to the two of them uh running away from a liquor store because they tried to buy liquor. And they run into the house of a drug dealer named Dell that they that they often hang out at. And 
earlier in this issue, we see that Hope Maggie had had a crush on Ray when they were younger, and Hopey walked up to Ray and threatened to like tell him that Maggie liked Ray. Hopey had not done that, but Maggie is mad at her here about that. And so Maggie goes, I'm still mad at you for what you did. Hopey says, I told you I didn't tell him anything about you. Why don't you believe me? God, all I did was tell the jerk I know his sister, who I can't even stand. Maggie goes, okay, I believe you. And then Hopey goes, that's why I love you so much. You're such a weirdo. And she jumps on her. And Maggie goes, Hopey, hey, don't grab my boobs. Stop, Hopey. Hopey, what are you? And then Hopey leans in for the kiss. We cut away to somewhere else in the house. We see this other kind of leather jacket wearing <laughs> couple sleeping. The woman's like, don't bump the wall. And the guy's going, it's not me. Dell must have brought a friend from Frisco. But that is a reference to the fooling around that Hopi and Maggie are doing in the other room. We cut back and it's after they have fooled around and Hopi says, are you mad? And Maggie says, no, just. And that that basically was like, oh yeah, they are like a physically involved couple. And it was like, kind of rad it was like everything about it the way it was sort of done maybe non-gratuitously but definitely explicitly the way Hopi just kissed her and maggie was weirded out but 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 let it happen and then kind of liked it i don't know it's one of the coolest things i've seen in stories um in comic books yeah and i probably if i read this when i was 12 or 13 or whatever what have you 14 uh, I probably just wasn't like ready for that to have an impact on me. Yeah. In that way. Like, I, I think I recognized what was happening. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, some of it, some of that stuff, especially like growing up in the eighties, like it, t- it took a few years for it to be like, Oh yeah, this stuff is never shown. Yes. That's right. And like, especially when you're like a straight white man, it's just sort of like, Oh, don't they show everything? Like every thing is represented and it's not till later on that you realize no just my stuff is represented and everything else you just assumed was because your stuff was so well covered yes exactly uh, and it's only like looking back and i'm like oh yeah everything was geared towards me and just me <laughs> <laughs> um I, i'm sure there's been like, people I, who... I think the same stuff could be said of like sandman just to jump sorry to interrupt yeah yeah uh, no please do like sandman had all these sort of it was, you know, it was a little bit later than this, but still early to have like transsexuals and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, different races and 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 sexualities and and all that sort of stuff happening and not being like even the point of those stories, but uh, just to uh, exist in the world of Sandman was kind of a revolution. Yeah, but I don't remember reading those original Sandman comics and going, "Wow, I can't believe they're they're doing this sort of stuff here." That's really forward thinking or brave or, or whatever. I didn't think of any of that. I was like, Oh, these are good stories. And this one I didn't like as much. And the weight of it didn't occur to me till much later on when I, I would go back and reread it and be like, Oh yeah, it's kind of cool that Neil Gaiman didn't play it safe. Yeah. Uh, with that stuff. And same thing here. I mean, it's maybe easier to be risky in an indie fantagraphics book, but probably a little bit, probably uh, a little bit. But the fact that like, these books are doing that stuff on such a big ish stage is cool. Um, I'm going to jump to the end of the story, Kevin. The kiss happens in the end of, uh, it looks like uh, the return of Ray D not in Vita Loca. Oh, thank you. Just before Vita Loca. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, okay. So jumping to the end of the story here, it's a, I love the uh, Jaime is not always good at plot. Let me just say that. Like he's great at character. He's great at moment, but he's not great at plot, but every now and then, 
he crushes one. And I think the end of this is just like a really moving and dramatic ending. So I just want to talk about it real quick. Um, it ends with the gang war heats up. The Dairytown guys come by and they shoot a hopper's a guy named Lidos in the eye, a friend of Ray and a friend of Speedy. And Ray is cradling Lidos where his eye is bleeding. We cut to the emergency room. There's a doctor telling this old Mexican man, who apparently is Lidos's grandfather, um, who doesn't speak English. It's like a white doctor telling a Mexican nurse, tell Mr. Uh, Carranza that his grandson will pull through, but I'm afraid we can't save his eye, and it'll be a while before we know if the bullet did any damage to his brain. Ray is sitting there, covered in blood-stained shirt, and Maggie has come maybe to help Ray, like they're starting to get together here. Um, and they're just like, how did this happen? How did it come to this? Uh, Ray's arm is around Maggie. They're talking about it. And then it turns out that Speedy's in the parking lot and wants to talk to Maggie. And a nurse comes by. Someone named Speedy wants to see you outside. Maggie was rushing out. Ray is a bit disappointed to see Maggie rush off to talk to Speedy. But Speedy's basically like, kind of like tries to kiss Maggie and is like, He's scared. He knows that the gang is after him. He's he's in danger. Um, and they're kind of hugging and he's kind of flirtatious with her. And their conversation is like, Maggie's kind of like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, no, it's you. I want it all along. It's you. It's not Esther. It's not anybody. It's you, Maggie. And Maggie tells him off, you know, don't you dare put this on me. Damn you, Speedy. Aren't you guys all sick and tired of watching me make an all-star ass myself? Aren't you? I am. I don't want to want you anymore, Speedy. I don't want to want Rand race anymore. That's the previous love interest from previous issues. I can't, I can't do it anymore. It hurts too much. And Speedy kind of looks forlorn and leaves. First of all, these nighttime scenes with these like thick blacks are so good looking. Like the nighttime dark scenes in Eleven Rockets comics are ooh good, real good looking. And then we cut to a car pulled over to the side of the road. Cops see it. They look inside. Hey, isn't that Ortiz kid's car? This is a small town. The cops know people. And he's been shot and killed in the car. And then the last, the last two pages, the second to last page, shows all the people who are friends with Speedy sitting up in bed. And there's a hand coming from off panel holding their hand. There's Esther holding his hand. There's Litos with his eye bandaged holding his hand. There's Isabel. And with Isabel, his sister, we hear him. We hear Speedy say off panel, Izzy, wake up. Huh? What? Speedy, what are you doing here? Shh, it's okay. And Speedy says to her, I just want to tell you everything's going to be all right from now on, not to worry about me. Izzy goes, Speedy, this is crazy. You know what time it is? Hold on. Let me open the shade. She opens the shade and the room is empty. He's not there. It's just like a ghost or some kind of supernatural visitation. And uh, the last page is a flashback to a wedding where all of these characters that we've seen for this whole issue are at somebody's wedding and Speedy is like a 13-year-old just running around and it's where he gets the nickname. Hey, that kid's always running. I, all I ever see these guys do is run. Hey, Speedy, where are you going, Speedy? And um, that's it. That's the end of the story. And it's, oof, it's real sweet to me. It's very tender and sweet and bold and I love it. Um it is hard to follow and it's challenging and I don't know. I, I'm sure there's I more. I don't think it's hard to follow. I think that's you putting later stories on this. I think it's kind of easy to follow. I mean, not for a kid, but easy to follow for an adult. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, 
I think maybe if anything, it's hard to get super invested in a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't sort of care about Speedy throughout this entire story. Right, right. And maybe I would have if I'd like read them all through to get to this point. Um, like I cared about Maggie. Um, but I did I just like Speedy was just like, you know, he the, the character's kind of a jerk, and I and I don't mind unlikable characters necessarily, but and obviously he dies and that's sad for anyone. Um, but I, I, it didn't hit me as hard as I think it should have. And this is probably a me problem more than the comic problem. I was like, oh, I just don't care that speedy died. Well, I, I don't think you're alone. I mean, I, you know, I've recommended love and rockets to lots of people over the years and I'd say most of the time it doesn't hit. It doesn't, you know, I've recommended Alan Moore comics and people be like, Oh my gosh, I love Watchmen. I love league of extraordinary gentlemen. Everybody we've recommended year one, two, I think likes it to some degree, sometimes quite a bit. Um, this one, a very low success rate. So I, I, I do think it might just be the window of time in which you discover love and rockets that determines how much you are attached to it. Um, although I'm also not alone. I will, I will find people. They're often like my age who love love and rockets and, and have, and have read it for a long time. And I'm always delighted sure. to find somebody who does. And we get lots of emails from people who love it. And this has been lots of people have asked us to cover this. The, there's a British show that was in the 2000s called The IT Crowd. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know of that show, Kevin? Sure. I watched it. I watched it all. Well, for some reason, the IT characters are always reading Love and Rockets comics. Like they're just throughout the first season. They just have Fantagraphics comics in general, like Dan Klaus and Chris Ware, but it's mostly Love and Rockets. And there's even a Love and Rockets poster in the background. That was just a choice they made about those characters. And I always thought that was interesting. That was that must have been the showrunner creator. You got to think something like that. Yeah, it must be. Uh, must be. And like, you know, British shows are so much more personal in the sense that like uh, they only make eight or nine episodes a season. I think there's a little more hands on for the showrunner. It's not like the art director was just a fan, but maybe who knows. Um. So uh, a couple other quick things like before. So th- this the death of Speedy in the sort of like the development of Love and Rockets comics in general was like a a kind of more mature, more naturalistic story than what had come before. Um, the, when Love and Rockets started, Jaime was doing basically science fiction stories starring Maggie the Mechanic. It was Ma- this same Maggie, but she was a brilliant auto mechanic and she would work on science fiction like cars and there'd be like dinosaurs and like aliens and creatures just kind of littered about like a heavy metal comic or something. And like, and she had a crush on her boss, Rand Race, who was this like good looking dude. And there was Penny Century, the sort of voluptuous Barbie doll figured waitress that was her friend. And it was more science fiction silliness, although it, it was still very like kind of female forward and like interesting and specific. But with the death of Speedy, it fully arrived into just a naturalistic world where it was just going to be these kids and hoppers in their lives, which would stay for a long, long time. And a lot of these characters are still in the stories. So, um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I love it. And I would say that if you've never read Love and Rockets, I think The Death of Speedy is a good one to start with. It's very representative of what makes Jaime Hernandez good. I mean, it's the yeah. late 80s, so it's a little while ago, but it's pretty easy to read. Um, it's beautiful to look at. Uh, and it's definitely got enough of what makes Jaime great that if, if you are going to like it, you'll, you'll like this. Yeah, I was reading it in the collection, The Girls from Hoppers, 
uh, mm-hmm. which uh, probably is available most places, um, if not digitally. So yep. if that was a thing you wanted to try out, I would to get that volume. And I think it's easier to read than Will was sort of implying too. I don't think you'll be lost reading it. Uh, and maybe if I read from the beginning of this volume, I would have been even more invested. Maybe I should have put that time in, but I didn't. Uh, and I That's can't okay. do I didn't, that I now. didn't ask you to do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, because I, I always think sometimes reading a few stories before, like the big one, can also just sort of help the impact of it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's a dumb, it's a dumb comparison. So I, I hesitate to even say it, but like. I started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people talk about how bad the first season is. And the first season is not that good. But I sort of do think like the last episode of the season one is great. And I think watching season one, not necessarily because you need to start from the beginning, but like it helps ramp up to season two in a really fun way where that show mm-hmm. can start hitting its stride. Like if you just start in the middle, which is what I did and I loved it. Um, there's something a little bit missing where like, you saw the build up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so sometimes there's that too. Just like, even if it's like, Oh, these are uneven. I, I'm certainly not. A, I don't know. I was asking a friend about watching uh, deep space nine. Well, mm-hmm. uh, cause uh, I'd watched deep space nine a little bit as a kid. And I uh, remember enjoying it. Okay. But just not getting sucked into it. Mm-hmm. And this friend of ours is a big star Trek fan. And he was like, Oh, it's my favorite show is deep space nine. I'm like, Oh really? I was like, when does it get good? Like when, when should I start watching? He's like, you got to start with episode one. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, really? But when does it get really good? He's like episode season five or something. I forget what it was. Yeah, it was some yeah, long yeah. stretch. And those were like 22 episode seasons. I was like, yeah, I can't, you can't ask me to watch yeah, four too seasons. Much. Yeah. Uh, maybe a season. Uh, and basically right, right. Uh, I didn't end up watching it. I like watched two episodes. I was like, I, I can't, I just can't commit yeah. this much. Right. to a show that even though I think I might like it, uh, yeah. you were asking too much, but you know, a half of a volume of love and rockets to build up to this or, or a short season of Buffy to get the season two. That's a different ask, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, if anybody's read love and rockets or as a fan, or and certainly if anybody tries it because of this episode, we'd love to hear it. Uh, that's screw it. Comics at Gmail. Even if you don't like it, I, I certainly don't mind hearing that. I, if you put the time in, yeah, I'd love to it, hear your honest reaction. And if you had experience reading it, I bet most people have had experience in the past reading it, look back on it fondly, but I'd love to hear from you either way, just to know like, oh yeah, I tried that when I was uh, Will's age uh, or in the eighties. Either. And here's what I thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. Did I stick with it? Did I not stick with it? Um, Like Will, did I have to get, take two years off because I decided it wasn't that good (laughs) or am I a real fan? And I kept reading it throughout. (laughs) Oh man. If I'm not a real fan, that is a bummer to hear. Just saying, like you stopped reading it for two years. It's not a short amount of time. <laughs> well, it's only like three issues in Love and Rockets time. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, three issues, but four different recollections of volume one. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so that, that, next that, week, next week we're going to cover Gilbert and, and, and Heartbreak Soup. The story Heartbreak Soup, which is the first big Palomar story. So you can find that in the very first um, – uh collection uh blood of palomar i think it's called uh gosh you know what i don't know but it's the whatever anytime it's the very first gilbert hernandez collection of love and rockets which is normally the second volume because i always start with jamie jaime you know what i don't know how to explain it but um it's called heartbreak (laughs) soup and uh it's by gilbert hernandez hopefully by the time we 
read it, I'll have discovered the volume and I can post it online. Uh, great. Okay, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.